The season we're in at the moment is student season, as literally thousands of young people up and down the country leave home to go off to uni to study. At least that's the theory. Here in London, we have tens of thousands of students descending on us in the next few weeks. And in the last few weeks, Luke Ijas, my colleague, has been helping us see very helpfully how the gospel emphasizes to us that Jesus is our teacher. Last week, we've been reminded in the last few weeks that Jesus was our late queen's teacher. As she said, for me, the life of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today is an inspiration and the anchor of my life, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing. What the Queen is saying there is the exact point that Luke, the writer of the Gospel, is seeking to hammer home here. Just look at chapter 6, verse 40 again. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. But you know, there's an important difference between a uni student, all those students coming to London these next few weeks, a uni student and disciple of Jesus. A uni student will be studying a subject taught by teachers, and their aim will be to fill their minds with information. But a disciple of Jesus doesn't just learn information. No, they follow a person, a person they believe to be the creator of all, the source of all life, the fount of all knowledge the saviour of the world. A uni student's degree may open many doors for them in their lives, and it may be life-changing, and their teachers may have a significant part to play in that. But the difference between a uni student and the disciple of Jesus is vitally important. I don't know if you noticed in the last few weeks as Luke's been preaching just how many commands there are in the sermon that the Lord Jesus preaches. Just look down at chapter 6. Look at 27, verse 27 and verse 35. Jesus commands us, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Look at verse 28. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Look at verse 29 and 35 again. Give without expecting anything back. Verse 35. Be kind to the ungrateful. Verse 36. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. This is just not mere information that the Lord Jesus is just passing on. No, these are commands from the King. They expect you and me, if we're his followers, to obey. In fact, he says you must obey. The passage we're looking at today is absolutely no different to the rest of the sermon the Lord Jesus has preached as it's structured around commands. Just look down again at verse 37. If you are my disciple, then what does Jesus command us to do? Then do not judge. Verse 37. If you're my disciple, then do not condemn. If you're my disciple, verse 38, then live a life giving to others. Your life must be marked, if you're a disciple of me, by giving, giving, giving to others. And you know, the wonderful thing, the beautiful thing about Jesus' teaching is that all these commands are modelled by him, lived out. 
Jesus' style of teaching is so, so different to a university teacher. It's so different because it's not done in a lecture hall. Neither is it done in heaven, sanctified from sin and selfishness. No, Jesus' teaching is done on earth, where life is often full of muck and mess, selfishness and suffering. He's not a teacher who merely says, do this. But instead a teacher who says, watch this. Watch me. Then follow me. Watch me, Jesus says. I'm a teacher. Watch me. And as we look at the passage today, it's our eyes that seem to be Jesus' focus as the three parables that we heard read. The first is about a person being blind. And the second is about planks and specks in their eye. So the first heading is your blindness, parable one. So how are we to understand this first parable? Just look down verse 39. Let me read it again. He also said to them this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, the obvious question is, who is the blind person? Who is the student? Who is the teacher? Now, I'm pretty sure you've already worked out who the teacher is by the introduction I've given you. But the blind person? Well, if Jesus is the teacher, then clearly you and me must be the blind person and the student. Which does feel, at first, slightly insulting of Jesus. Doesn't it? Jesus calling you blind? For a blind person is helpless. A blind person is utterly dependent, completely dependent upon the person who guides them. One of my very, very dear friends has had glaucoma. He's the same age as me, 56, and now he's only got 70, sorry, now he's 75% blind. He's got to go to Moorfields on Thursday. So I have to take him, especially in the underground. The underground's a nightmare. It's either too bright or it's too dark. And when I take him, obviously, the, you've, got, you've got the, the stairs, you've got the, so many things. And he puts his hand on my arm and I guide him. It's incredibly humbling to be guided. Incredibly humbling for me, someone who I once played football with, someone who was once so strong, now is utterly dependent on me. Which is the very point that Jesus is making here. Just think back to the commands. Just look at down chapter 6 again. Just think back to the commands in the sermon. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Give without expecting anything back. Be kind to the ungrateful. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Now, hands up if anyone finds being like that, doing that, natural. Hands up. Anyone feel, anyone just, is is those things natural to you? Maybe at work, someone gets promotion over you and you know it's been unjustly given. Either the person who's been promoted has manipulated things for their benefit in a sly way, or your boss has favoured them over you unjustly. How do you feel at that point? 
What do you want to do? Desiring justice is right, but often not, it's not our first response, is it? Isn't our first response usually anger and revenge? Use me, which usually means promote me or lose me. Do you feel like being loving towards them? Do you naturally want to do them good? The world, your mates, say, stuff it, put in a few sickies. Stop giving you your best. Fight fire with fire. Your emotions, your natural default position, even in an understandable desire for justice, makes you blind and you fall in the pit. Blinded by your emotions and the voices of others. You fall into the pit and don't act like a follower of the Lord Jesus. Or maybe a colleague at work or even a member of your own family regularly treats you disrespectfully. When you give, 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 all they do is take, take, take. When you're kind, they repeatedly repay it with gossip or painful ignoring, treating you as if your acts of kindness were never done. Having your acts of kindness ignored by the ones you love is deeply, deeply hurtful. Ignored in the staff room, ignored in the boardroom, ignored at the family occasions. At those times, what's your natural reaction? Honestly, what do you feel inside? What's your default position? The feelings of pain are raw and real. And God doesn't want you to act as if they're not there. That would be foolish. A good friend of mine was brought up in a family in Liverpool with seven brothers and sisters. And while growing up, one of her brothers ignored her for many, many years, living so closely, so intimately, she was ignored for many, many years. And the pain that that brought her was very, very deep. And she never got over that. She had to learn to live with that. Our teacher, the Lord Jesus, does not want us to ignore the pain. We're made in the image of God. Therefore, at the heart of being human is relationship, loving relationships. Therefore, to be ignored repeatedly is one of the most difficult things for a human being to endure. And when your heart is pumping with pain and your emotions seem to be taking over the control room of your life, your natural response will be, well, if they ignore me, then I'll ignore them. If they're ungrateful, then I'm going to let them know that I'm not going to give myself anymore. At those painful points, we want to, what do we want to be? I'm sure many of you have experienced those things. If you haven't imagined yourselves into them, at those painful points, what do we want to be? We want to be in charge of how we respond. At those painful points, we want to dictate how we will act. We want to be, chapter 6, verse 37, we want to be what? We want to be the judge. We want to condemn them for their actions. But our teacher says in verse 37, do not judge, do not condemn. The last thing we naturally want 
Verse 37 is to nurture a heart that is ready to forgive. But our teacher says, forgive and you will be forgiven. The last thing we naturally want to do, verse 38, is keep on giving of ourselves when they don't get, give back. In fact, they do give, but there's plenty of abuse. But our teacher says, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. The painful circumstances, the intense feelings of injustice, the emotions you feel have made you blind, blind to your teacher Jesus. And you've fallen into a pit, a pit dug by your circumstances. You've fallen into a pit, you've responded in the wrong way. You've fallen into a pit, urged on by your friends who aren't Christians, your friends who don't follow Jesus. You see what happens, what we have actually done is we've made ourselves the judge. Either we've become our own teacher and decided to take a different path from the one that the Lord Jesus has commanded us to take, or we've followed the path other people have told us to. They've become our teachers. Letting them judge instead of our teacher the Lord Jesus. Now, let's be honest. Does that sound familiar to you? It does to my own heart. You know, maybe you're here this morning and your life really does feel like you've fallen into a pit. You look back upon your life or you look at your life now. And to be honest, Jesus has never been your teacher. It's always been yourself or others who have led you. Well, why not today? Why not today admit your blindness? Ask God to forgive you for thinking as a creature you didn't need your creator to guide you. You know, the wonderful thing about the gospel is Jesus died to forgive people for rejecting him as their teacher. The good news that Luke shows us on nearly every page of his gospel is he's come to forgive people like you and people like me. So when you come to the Lord Jesus today, when you ask him for forgiveness, accept him as your teacher, your saviour today. Or maybe you're struggling as a follower of Jesus It seems your voice or the voice of others seems to dominate your life as the teacher. Well, when that happens as followers of Jesus, what are we meant to do? Well, I think the next parable comes into play at that point. Your blind eyes, parable two. You see, the next parable is a comical picture, isn't it? And I think as we look at it, it's designed to make us smile. Here's a guy walking along and he has a massive big plank in his eye. Massive big plank. It's brilliant, the Lord Jesus. Massive big plank. Great picture of the Lord Jesus. He's, he, he's massive big plank, staring along. And then he sees someone who's got a speck in theirs. And he says, wait a minute, mate. Wait a minute. I, I can't see. If, can you see that speck in your eye? Let me just, let me just. And he maybe he turns to him and whacks him on the head with the plank. I'd love to have seen the Lord Jesus tell this parable, wouldn't you? We've only got the notes here. Maybe he did act it out. 
a guy with a huge plank in his eye trying to spot a speck in somebody else's. And what's Jesus getting at here? The major point is the major point Jesus is making is actually, I think, the first, the same as the first parable. We are blind, and we need Jesus, God's Son, to be our teacher, our guide. If we don't have Him as our teacher, then we resemble the blind leading the blind. You see, in both parables, when you think about it, both of them are about blindness, aren't they? One person is clearly blind, and the second person stupidly thinks. They can see when they have a massive blank in their eye. And Jesus knows the temptation for his followers is to forget what? Temptation for you, the temptation for me, is to forget that we are blind. To forget that Jesus is our teacher. And without knowing it, without knowing it, we stray into becoming the judge once again. A judge who's in charge of their own lives and can lead and can teach others how to live their lives. Oh, and these people come to church every Sunday and maybe they're even leaders in the church. Maybe they're even the senior minister for 0 to 18s. Without even knowing it, they've crossed over the line from knowing and acting as if Jesus is their teacher and they are blind, to thinking and acting as if they are nicely sorted. Nicely sorted in their moral lives. Nicely sorted with their career. Nicely sorted with their finances. Nicely sorted with their family. And therefore... Just maybe you look down on people's lives, down on people's lives who see, which seem all over the place. And maybe, just maybe, pride begins to invade your heart. I mean, you wouldn't say you're so weird. That's how you feel. And like the Pharisee in the third parable in Luke 18, you've become confident of your own righteousness and you look down on others. Without realising it, you become blind again. For you have a self-righteous, massive, big plank in your eye. And when you look at those struggling with sin, you quickly, or even maybe slowly, register all the ways that you are not like them. You're sorted just like the Pharisee in the parable. Your eyes, my eyes, have a different look to our teacher, to our God. Verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. You see, the Lord Jesus is not calling us to never make judgments or to lack all discernment. That would be a disaster if we do that. Instead, our teacher is calling us to read everyone that we encounter through his eyes of mercy and not through the kind of self-righteousness which is so easily done. I have a friend who was converted from a very dysfunctional background where most of his relationships had been pretty messed up. Not his fault. Wonderfully, he was converted 
And quickly, he joined a great church, just like all souls. After about six months, one of the church leaders gave me a call, worried that my friend was losing his faith. When I met him, it wasn't his faith in Jesus that was the problem. You see, when he went to fellowship group, it appeared to him that most of the people there appeared, maybe even gave the impression that they were all pretty sorted. And he said to me, Trevor, do these people ever sin? Because if they do, they never share it. Which is part and parcel, really, of a middle-class culture. Appearing sorted. And if we're not careful, part and parcel of a middle-class church. So how do we remember our blindness? How can we move to being marked by mercy? Well, the last point is your teacher's eyes. It's worth asking the question, and it's a beautiful question. I would encourage you, I would spent over a year going through the whole of Luke's Gospel with the young people. I think they thought Luke's Gospel was going to be eternity. I spent a year going through it. And the thing that hit me again and again and again was this one question. Why were people, or should I say, what kind of people were attracted to the Lord Jesus? And one in the, in, in the, on the Fridays, because it was evangelistic, I did a little series called Nicknames Given to Jesus. Nicknames Given to Jesus. And one of the nicknames, turn back please to chapter 7, verse 33, and you'll see one of the nicknames given to Jesus. Verse 33, chapter 7. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he is a demon. The son of man, that's Jesus, came eating and drinking. You say he's a glutton and a drunken, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A friend of sinners. Now this is meant from the Pharisees, an insult. They've got to throw it at Jesus as an insult. You're a friend of sinners. Look at those people you hang around with. He's a friend of sinners. I mean, I don't know how they might. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. I mean, who knows? He's a friend of sinners. I don't know how they say it, but they said it. And it's meant as an insult to the Lord Jesus. But Jesus boldly accepts it as a perfect description of his mission to earth. In fact, you could say Jesus owns it. You could say Jesus enjoys it. Friend of sinners, bring it on. Why is it that broken people found the Lord Jesus so attractive? Jesus never ignored people's sin and selfishness. If you read through Luke, he's clearly, he isn't, um, he isn't, into making people comfortable with their sin and blindness. No, he's, he's constantly calling out. Yet the reason sinners, broken people, are attracted to Jesus, who really was the only sorted person who's ever lived, completely sorted, they were attracted to him because when they looked into their teacher's eyes, they saw... They saw mercy. Verse 36, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. It's worth pondering 
where the tax collector's eyes were looking in the parable, chapter 18. The tax collector's eye, the tax collector was considering his blindness before God, and in considering his blindness before God, where does he look? He looks down. Down, of course he looks down. And as his eyes look down, what words does he then hear with his ears? All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He hears the voice of his teacher calling him to be forgiven and to follow. And then as he looks up, what does he see? He sees a saviour whose eyes are full of mercy, full of forgiveness, full of love, which is what he calls you and me to be. That's a joy, isn't it? To gaze into the eyes of your saviour through reading his word and seeing his beauty. And his brilliance. Lives, eyes, actions full of mercy. It's impossible for the Pharisee to look down, if you think about it. Sorry, it's impossible for the, for, for the Pharisee to uh, look down. Why can't he look down at his sin? Because he's got this massive big plank in his eye. If he looks down, he's just going to jolt himself, isn't he? Massive plank of self-righteousness. He can't look down at his blindness because he's got this big plank there. The only place he can look is up, up at himself. Surely what this passage calls us to today is to recommit ourselves to enjoying looking at our teacher. His eyes full of mercy. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Verse 42, verse 40. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, everyone who gazes, looks, studies, enjoys, meditates on, gazes at the Savior will be like him. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when so often we tread over the line from realizing our blindness to becoming a judge. Father, help us to revel in being, in understanding our blindness and then to look and study and enjoy and follow our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen.